All right, so last week we heard a parable from the Gospel of Luke. If you were here, we've been hearing parables from the Gospel of Luke for the past couple of weeks. Last week's was about a dishonest manager, and it was filled with cultural context and hidden meanings, and it required us to dig into it a little bit to figure out what was going on. Today's gospel is not, not that. No matter how much we might want it, there is just no hidden meaning in this text. Now, that being said, it would be a mistake to hear today's gospel and only hear it as a tale of earned or lost salvation. We miss, when we think of it like that, that this is a parable, just like the lost coin or the lost sheep or even last week's parable of the dishonest manager. Jesus tells parables to make a point, using image to describe something else. And the point of this one is not about the image he uses. It's not about heaven and hell, spoiler alert. The point is about how we take care of the poor and how we love our money more than each other. If you are anyone other than a beggar outside of the gate, this story feels like a threat. Similar to last week, there are plenty of pastors who would gladly preach another text on this day, though the help they get from the lectionary this morning is minimal, as you heard from Amos and 1 Timothy. Those two texts alongside Luke's gospel today can make us very uncomfortable. Amos's words were about not just against excess, but against comfortable living and simple security, and those strike very close to home. Amos said, Alas for those who are at ease in Zion, who feel secure on Mount Samaria, who lounge on their couches while they eat snacks. It's my translation, but also, I mean, that's what we do every Sunday afternoon, right? That's what we do. Paul's words to Timothy warn about the love of money and how it can lead people away from God. He says, in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from faith, away from the life that is really life. So when you read these two texts together with the gospel, besides feeling kind of uncomfortable, it's also clear that the people of God have been struggling with money and power and corruption for just about forever. We are in good, uncomfortable company this morning. Now, in Luke's gospel, we have had, as I said, parable after parable from Jesus saying the same thing in new ways. He says over and over again, God is about the poor and lost. Remember, he said God is about the lost, always searching for the lost and leaving others behind. God is about the poor, always working to overturn injustice. Just before this parable, literally just before, Jesus says, you cannot love God and money. And can't you just picture this scene with the people having heard all of these parables one after another and then Jesus ending with that and they're like, but I like my stuff. I, I like my comfort and I like my security. And honestly, I have worked hard to have the life that I have. And Jesus looks around, and I sort of imagine he sighs a big sigh. And then he tells this parable. He has no more time to mince words or have us dig into some complicated metaphor. Say it plain, Jesus. The contrast Jesus paints here is utter excess versus utter need. 
A rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man, Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with the scraps that fell from the man's table. Notice a few things here. The only thing we know about the first man is that he is rich. We don't know his name. We don't know what kind of person he is. We don't know if he goes to church. We just know he's got some wealth. He dresses well, eats well. The beggar, now we know his name here. Lazarus. Now, not to be confused with the Lazarus that is raised from the dead. Scholars kind of assume it's not the same guy. It's like two people named John. It's just more than one. Lazarus, he is humanized. The rich man is not named. He could be anyone. I think that's on purpose. We aren't supposed to hear this story and think we are the beggar. He is not us. He is Lazarus. But we could we could be the rich man. We could be the one eating well, dressing well. Purple cloth, somebody pointed out, not intentional. Thank you, God. Dressing well, all secure behind our protective gates and communities to keep out the riffraff. Now, both people in today's story die, as people do. Lazarus is comforted. The rich man is tormented. We ignore the poor and suffering at our peril. This is the point. There is a consequence for ignoring the poor and the suffering. So what then was the problem with this rich guy? So we, so we can not be him, right? What do we need to do to not be that guy? Was, was it his money that was the problem? Maybe he was a bad guy. I bet he was a bad guy. It's easy to say he was just a jerk who ignored Lazarus because then it becomes harder to see ourselves in him. I mean, I might be financially comfortable, but I'm not a jerk. I mean, not most of the time. But what if he wasn't a bad guy? What if he wasn't evil? What if he didn't see Lazarus? Maybe he was so caught up in his everyday, daily life, and Lazarus was just such a fixture at his gates that eventually he just stopped seeing him. I get this because I do this. We do this. So this made me wonder, when was the first time you noticed someone in need? Someone like Lazarus, someone begging for scraps. I was raised in a big old house in the woods on 20 acres of forest land near Collegeville, Minnesota. We were pretty isolated out there in the country. The closest big city was St. Cloud, but we almost never went further in than Crossroads Mall, which is very not into town, right? If we ventured into town at all, we tried to stay away from the big city. Just go to St. Joe. It's good enough. Because of this, my experiences with seeing people in need was very small. But like many kids, I took a trip to Washington, D.C. in the summer after seventh grade with my middle school civics teacher. Anyone else do that trip? A few, maybe? Oh, gosh. It was like a big deal. It was the first time I had ever seen a homeless person, much less homeless people, plural. And I was really overwhelmed. I felt like they were everywhere. I remember one of the chaperones telling a group that we shouldn't give any of them money. Because once you give one of them money, then everybody's going to want money and they're going to follow you around. 
We were told, just walk by. You know, don't look at them, don't make eye contact, just keep walking. Otherwise, you won't be safe. And that's what we did. I mean, I was just like a skinny 13-year-old. So yeah, I followed whatever that, I needed to be safe in the big, scary city of Washington, D.C. That's what we did, even though there was a part of me that felt wrong about it, felt icky about not making eye contact with people. We were visiting some of the most powerful places on earth, and even as a seventh grader, I clearly felt that juxtaposition of wealth and power with the homeless people everywhere I turned. And that was kind of the beginning for me, the beginning of not seeing, the beginning of feeling overwhelmed by how many people needed help, the beginning of driving by, walking by, not making eye contact, to the beginning of ignoring those in need. When did you first notice someone in need? And also, when did you stop seeing them? Today, Jesus gives us a harsh word. We'd rather, honestly, not listen. We'd rather move on quickly to the good news, the kind of good news that makes us feel better, not worse. But Jesus didn't come to make us feel good. Jesus came for the poor and the lost. He has made it very clear And today, Jesus lays out this scene of utter excess and utter need and says, yes, I know you cannot feed every person in the world, but you can at least feed the one at your gate. And then he calls him Lazarus. Whoever they are, they have a name. They have a story. They matter. This is the gospel that demands roughly, that we see the world as Jesus sees it, to see the beggars as Jesus sees them, as people with a name and a story, as beloved creations made in the image of a loving God. You ignore suffering in this life at your peril. When the rich man realizes this very thing in Jesus' parable today, that his actions have consequences, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to visit his brothers to warn them about what will happen if they also ignore the beggar at their gate. David Lowe's author and Lutheran pastor wrote that Abraham's response is interesting. He said they already have all the counsel they need in the law and prophets. But the rich man does not relent, arguing that the testimony from beyond the grave will be more convincing. And Abraham's answer to this is now not just interesting, but striking. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Los continues, All of which convinces me that the unrepentant but chastened rich man is not truly the subject of this parable at all, We are. We are those who, along with the community for whom Luke originally wrote, know the resurrected Lord. We are the ones 
who have the law and the prophets, and we have seen God's compassion embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus. We are the ones who gather to celebrate his victory over the grave and the forgiveness of sin and living in the light of God's grace, mercy, and abundance. We are those who claim to follow the risen and crucified Lord. So the question we are left with this morning is, do we? Do we really follow the crucified and risen Lord? Because following Jesus in Luke's gospel seems like a lot of work. It sounds like seeking the loss with reckless abandon. It sounds like using the system's brokenness against itself. It sounds like not just going about our daily activities and routines, but stopping and seeing and looking past our entitled places of security and privilege right now, not waiting for later, now. Following Jesus means going throughout each day and moment and time with an eye towards injustice, not only towards the poor and lost, but how the system that benefits us may give us the advantage at the expense of someone else. And following Jesus means doing something. Jesus reminds us that our actions towards the poor have consequences. Our actions towards each other have consequences. And our secure, gated, protected, insulated lives cannot come with us and they do not protect us. When we set our hopes and our future on God, and not money or power or security, we find there, as Paul says, life that is really life. Really life. And that kind of new life begins here in this place. Each week, we come, we gather together, and we stand here and confess the ways we fall short. We stand together and confess how we focus on ourselves more than each other. We confess how we miss seeing the need that is around us. This very morning, we confess to being captivated by our possessions. We confess together to feasting with friends and ignoring strangers. We did that this morning. And we heard the words, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are found. And God loves you even when you mess up, even when you look straight ahead, even when you turn away. We come here and we say, we messed up. I did it again. I did it wrong again, God. And God says, I know. I love you. Here's a new life. Here's the life that is really life. And that moment where we hear those words, you are forgiven. And then we heard, take hold of the new life offered to you through the resurrected Christ. We heard that this morning and here is our chance. That is the good news on this set of texts in front of us today that does not, really does not feel that great. It's our chance to come together as people who follow the crucified and risen Lord and hear, you are loved, you are loved. So go and do likewise.
And that is the good news we are waiting for. There's a well-known piece of prayer from the Talmud that says, uh, do not be overwhelmed by the world's brokenness, by the world's grief. Love now, do mercy now, walk humbly now. So all we can do is those things now. And we're going to mess up and we're going to do it wrong and that happens. We're human, that's what it is. But we come here and we are forgiven. We are reminded we are loved and then we take hold of this new life given to us each and every time we gather. Luther talked about uh, every day is a new baptism and so we have to keep this fresh in our minds that we have a chance every day to follow the crucified and risen Lord. Every day, a new chance. And when we mess up, we come and we receive forgiveness because it's going to happen. And then we go into the world that needs to hear that, that it is as loved as you are, that needs you to be on the lookout for injustice, that needs you to point at it and call it out for what it is and pick up the blind beggar on the side of the road and bring them in. So do we take our forgiven, loved selves followers of the crucified and risen Lord out into the world. And we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Mm -hmm.